0: DJ and PK is brought to you by Mark Miller. Mark Miller Subaru, bringing you DJ and PK. All right, Bob is going to get his comeuppance here in another segment. This is going to be fun, isn't it, PK? What do you mean? Yeah, just beat up on Bob for picking Brooks Kepka. I always pick DJ with my number one pick if he's available. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll talk masters with Bob. A historic weekend as Dustin Johnson goes twenty under. Uh but first I uh, wanna spend a uh, a couple minutes here on a guy we uh we both like to be around, we both like to talk to, we both like to hear stories of uh the uh, of the old days. Um uh, you know, how how did we get where we are in sports in this community? And that was Bill Marcroft, who passed away over the weekend. And uh, the list of people who lined up as I reached out to him to – uh, do a little tribute to him on Talking Sports last night. Uh, everybody was ready to drop everything. Carl Arkey, who some people don't know, worked at Channel 2 in the 80s. A lot more people may remember him at Channel 4 in the 90s. But Bill hired him, and he was traveling, and it didn't end up working out. By the time he landed, we were kind of too far down the road. But multiple texts from him, he was trying to make himself available too. Because like everybody else, he really liked Bill, and uh, you know, Bill had a positive impact on him. Uh, Yak, you got a little something you want to play here? So PK did an interview with uh, Marcroft. This is in 2018, right? PK was for
1: sort of the 20-year anniversary of the Final Four team. Three segments. I'm going to repost all three segments on our website so people can listen to the entirety of the conversation because it's absolutely marvelous. But there was a clip in it where he actually had a very interesting thing what he does on Sunday nights involving you two. So here you go. We appreciate you being with us this hour. I want to make a deal Look, with you. Look, it's been
0: an honor. Oh, okay. <laughs> an honor for me to be here because we can't go to bed Sunday nights. My wife <laughs> will not allow me to go to bed until we see the PK and DJ show. And that is that is that ends it all for us, our television viewing on Sunday. Yeah. We can now go to bed. Yeah, and I'll tell you, he's a perfect foil for you. He is. <laughs> he's a perfect foil. <laughs> he is,
1: yeah. It's been quite a ride for me, too. Too. I'm not ready to retire yet. Hopefully I've got several <laughs> more years, but I'm very grateful to no, be able to do No, you've created a character that really works. Yeah, that's, that's well said.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Bill Marcroft, that laugh. That was multiple people. I said, when I say Bill Marcroft, what's the first thing you think of? And uh, Rod Zun was like, that laugh. That laugh was infectious. Just everything cracked him up.
1: Bill Marcroft is an absolute freaking legend,
0: man.
1: <laughs> I wish I could go to dinner with him one more time. I really do. I love that man. I've loved him for a long time. He's just absolutely awesome.
0: He started calling Ute games in the mid-60s. 1966 as an analyst, 69 is a play-by-play guy, and the last football game he called was the Fiesta Bowl. And I know he didn't really want to stop doing it. <laughs> you know, you always talk about guys who have those play-by-play guy, jobs and yeah. just want to ride them out forever. And I'm pretty sure he would have ridden it out four more years of the Sugar Bowl if he could have and if he knew it was coming. But oh, most definitely, yeah. But you think the way his career went, that was a great game to end with. You know, he was Mr. Ute, and that was the pinnacle. When they, it, It's weird to look back at it now because now it looks like one step on the climb. But at the time, man, the BCS door was just, it was shut, it was fastened, it was locked, it was barred. And somehow they kicked the thing in. It was just incredible that they pulled that off. It oh, was yeah. such a wild ride for the two years under Urban. I mean, it was just, just hold on to the roller coaster, here we go. <laughs> and it, it ends up with them just uh, crushing Pitt in the Fiesta Bowl with 50,000 Ute fans filling the place
1: spectacular sitting there at Sun Devil stadium i can still recall the look on chris hill's face and the pride and i felt pride and i'm not a ute but i felt pride uh for for youth fans at that point by that point i'd been in the market for a good long time uh, there's a couple of things that really make bill roncroft stand out to me is that he was in an age where the, the radio play-by-play guy was your conduit, because not all games were broadcast on television the way they are now. Right. Pretty much every game is on television, and I'm talking about men's basketball, too. So you can see it for yourself. You may not listen to the radio. I don't know what the ratings are. They're still probably pretty good. But compared to what they must have used to have been, must have been incredible, because that was the way you you, you listened. Mm-hmm. And I can recall the Sun Devils needed to, to win a game. I think they were need to beat Washington to go to the Rose Bowl. And you, you couldn't watch the game; I had to listen to it on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> Seems incredible now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is in the this is in the eighties, right? Not it's, that long ago. And I had to listen to it uh, on the uh, on the radio. Well, that that would have been Bill Marcroft for so many folks. He was their guy. He was their ears and and eyes and all that stuff. And he was a true legend, also too. The thing that I am literally the most honored of for and with and by Bill Marcroft is he viewed me from a journalism standpoint as a peer. And he told me often, because everybody knows that Jairus could be difficult to cover, and I stood in the plate, at the plate, and he was throwing high, hard ones for 10 years. Right, I think pretty much all the folks who listen to us – understand that i covered him the longest of the time that he was here at utah for the the newspaper the tribune anyway the d news has their own guys and i stood there and i took fastball after fastball at at the chin and i threw a few fastballs myself so i'm not saying i didn't and bill was a guy behind the scenes who kept strengthening me who would buoy me up and would tell me, you got to keep doing this, you're great at what you do, stay in there, hang with it. And he treated me as if I was a real journalist. And folks at the Tribune didn't treat me like that. There was a lot, okay, I wasn't the greatest writer, and I didn't use flowery words and all that stuff. They wouldn't even let me cover the Olympics. That's what they thought of me. I may have mentioned that a time or two. Forty. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but he... Was there, and he was my ally, and when he, uh, man, all the stories he had told me about all the work that he did in broadcast journalism, and he was a broadcast journalist, he later became obviously known maybe more famously for his play-by-play, which isn't really broadcast journalism. It's another entity of the communication sphere. But when he was a broadcast journalist, that's exactly what he was. And he was a noted and a very, very good at what he did. And he treated me with that respect that I was looking for, that I didn't get it in my own house, in my own newsroom on Main Street most of the time. He gave it to me. And I feel honored that he put me on a level – That was akin to him. And you just heard it there at the end there, that clip that uh, Yach played. And I think that his friendship and the fact that he viewed me as a journalist is something that really, really did mean a lot. And now with him, and I can't believe he and Bruce Woodbury are gone. It's just shocking to me because they were two of my guys. Sports information at uh, Utah for all those years, 35 years or whatever it was and both these guys are gone now within less than two years of each other and both those guys the way they treated me really really meant so much and still does
0: yeah there's so many, uh, so many stories about Mil- Bill Marcroft and uh, some of them I didn't know but I, I gotta say I was really impressed yesterday um, as people dropped everything to do interviews whenever I wanted to do them everybody was willing to zoom whenever and uh, it, you know his <clears throat> He had such passion for the Utes, and Reese Stein did a story with him um, right before he called his last game. I think they probably did it in December of two thousand four, before the Fiesta Bowl, and uh, and they they touched on some of the stuff. and Bill was saying, you know, people always ask, "What are the best games?" He says, "Well, it's not the games; it's the people." And you know, that's an easy thing to say, and and a lot of people mean it, and some people. Probably don't mean it, (laughs) but they they think it's a good thing to say, so they say it. But I heard him say that on tape, and then as you call people, they all get back to you. and, And Frank, I've known Frank Dolce for a long time, and... He uh, just his uh, and and you've known him for a long time too, PK and just his attitude. We got him on Zoom. It was so it was so kind of melancholy. It was just kind of sad and, and reflective. And I thought, wow, he really did bond with Bill. But like you, he spent so much time with Bill on the road, you know, calling games for so many years. Um, you know, there was a long day in the broadcast booth with pregame and postgame, but there's, yeah. there's the airplanes and the meals, and, you know, there's a lot of hurry up and wait and downtime and get to the right. airport right. early and then sit there, right? right. And uh, I'd heard this one story, and I'd never asked Frank about it. And I had heard it, and Frank was a quarterback when I got to town, and I didn't, I didn't know it because I wasn't here at the very start when, you know, he recruited and showed up and everything. I said, Frank, I, I heard that you— um that uh, he's responsible for changing the pronunciation of your name. Is that true? And there's like this pause, and then Frank starts giggling. He's just chuckling. He's like, you know, I'm glad you asked me that. And he went off on this long story, only part of which we could air. Um, But when he grew up in California, and he's a South Bay guy like you, right? He's not Pedro, but where was he down there?
1: I think he was more Culver City. uh, Okay. Which is a little bit of ways, but he played at Camino, which is South Bay.
0: Okay. So he says, when I'm there growing up, I'm Frank Dolce. And I come up to Utah, and I'm Frank Dolce until my parents and grandmother come to town. And Frank's grandmother... Um, Italian, spoke Italian in the house. So we'll have to get Frank. I didn't want to interrupt him for the details. He was rolling. Uh, But I assume that then either her parents or grandparents came over and, you know, spoke Italian. So she spoke Italian in the house. And so Bill somehow gets to talk to her and starts talking to her about the name and says, you know, how do you pronounce it? And so it's Dolce is the Dolce. So Bill starts doing this on the air. And everybody was calling him Dolce, and I assume that, you know, coaches, sports information guys, right? The coaches would have gone down and recruited him. And it's the power of Bill's platform and his personality and his ability to tell the story whenever anyone says, no, I've talked to the grandma, and the grandma says it's Dolce. And now everyone calls him Frank Dolce. He literally changed the pronunciation of this guy's name and made it stick. (laughs) Who does that? And, and talking, he said that, uh, Frank said once he started calling games, he said that uh, whenever they were hard to pronounce names, he was always searching out. Not that he always got it right, because nobody always gets it right, but he said it really mattered to Bill that he tracked down every name. And if it's a Polynesian name and it's hard to say, well, get it down anyway. You know, figure it out. People, it's, it's people's names. You know, they owed him that. And, and you could see that it just meant something to, uh, to Frank as he told that story. Um, it was just one of the small ways, you know, but that goes back to the journalism, you know, get it and get it right.
1: I know exactly what you're talking about, Sniggy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> Making a name stick. Hey, but you pronounce it right. That's the important thing.
1: <laughs> since, I hear you,
0: Snigs. Since you made it up, I don't know how you could screw it up, but <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> I did get a little bit of that when I started in radio in Santa Barbara, you know, people like David James. Okay. What, what's your real name? David James. Oh, that's your radio name, though. No, that's, that's actually that's what mom and dad came up with. Here we are. No need to change it if that's your name. How many first names you got? Well, three, actually. That's another story.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, I think that's what's, uh, you know, when it's said and done for all, all of us, it's going to be said and done at some point. And, that, and that's something that I fear is my legacy and the people I've touched. It's just not enough. Whereas somebody like Bill Marcroft, it's overflowing. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do for a service in this COVID time and yeah. if they can even have one or what have you. But if it was normal times, you'd have to open up the overflow because you couldn't fit all the folks who would want to go and pay their respects to a man like Bill Marcroft. Those are the facts that they would be there in abundance. People that really, you know, only knew him casually and in a sense i really only knew him casually i'm sure there's many there's hundreds of people that knew him much deeper and as i said i knew his son lives up the street from me he's a doctor and his family and uh i'm aware of uh, patrick of, of his children i mean they went to brighton and i know kids my neighbor kids know their kids and so forth and those people you know those those people lost grandpa which is far more important than anything that I lost. But then there's guys like me and there's family and there's so many people in the community that literally the place would be packed. And I guess you probably can't do that, but that's an influence of how many people he touched that just uh, really speaks to who he was and what he was about. And he was a community member. I mean, he was one of your own. This was his life. This area was his life. And, you know, BYU may be turned off by it, but actually he had enormous respect for so many BYU people because he had respect for people. It wasn't about he wanted the red to win. There's no question about that. Yeah, as but as his as
0: relationship as well. with, with Paul James and their ability to yeah, go back yeah. and forth. And we, we played a clip that Reese Stein got out of them. And I don't even know what it was. I'd have to ask Reese what the setup was or whatever. But it was hilarious. And they were cracking each other up. And he was jamming BYU up for being, uh, what is it? Uh, they they thought they were uh, they thought they were better than everybody. They thought they could beat everybody and and be holier than thou. While they did, and Paul James goes, we did and we were. And they both burst out laughing. Right. So they as so you say, it's like don't get rid of the rivalry, but just don't let it uh, don't let it run over everything. You know, there's there's got to be a line there, and they and they knew that line, and you could see them laughing on camera. You knew there was some level of friendship there that uh, you know was built up over time, and there was a mutual respect.
1: Well, I've never been to Paul's house, but uh, I've been to Bill's house, and they didn't live that far away from each other. <laughs> they lived in the same community basically. So yeah, and they were two legends for sure.
0: Yep. All right, DJ and PK, we got to take a break. When we come back, Bob Casper, the Masters recap. After historic Masters, 20-under Dustin Johnson. Just an incredible four days of golf. We'll talk with Bob about that coming up. And, hey, the next Masters, what is it, like five months away, PK? Yeah, April, hopefully. (laughs) Early April, five and a half, I guess. All right, DJ and PK, also Frank Miley, Utah State interim football coach, will be here at 930. But Bob's coming up next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network.
1: My opinion is BYU has not been as friendly to Kalani as they need to be, or should have been. He was going into a lame duck year before they extended him to 2023. This would have been his lame duck season, and they extended him midway through last season. That's pushing it too close to the edge. If
0: he goes undefeated and has a top 15 pick, BYU better show him some confidence and extend him out another two
1: years and be like, hey, we just want to show you. We really screwed up on the first lack of extension. better show him now before the offers come in. Because if you don't, I like that university, but if I'm coaching there and I've got a power five team that comes swooping in and they're like, here's 3.2 and here's a two and a half million dollar yeah. increase on your coaching pool. My name's on that contract.
0: Hanson Scotting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 975 1280 the zone in the Zone Sports Network. Time to put a wrap on the Masters and bring in Real Golf Radio's Bob Casper. Bob, good morning.
2: Hey, how you doing?
0: Great. Welcome. I got my first Welcome green jacket. I got my first pick and my first victory. I feel great this morning. Probably not as good as DJ, <laughs> but I feel pretty good. I'm not going to kid you. I feel pretty good.
2: Yeah, I'll bet you do.
0: <laughs> I don't. I still to this day, uh, looking back, cannot believe you picked Brooks Kepka. But thank you.
2: Well, you're welcome. I was kicking myself all weekend, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'm curious, not so much about that prediction as another one you made when you were on. You thought the winner was going to be at about eight under. You said they'd go low early because the scores would be great, but then the greens would dry up yep. on the weekend. The wind kicked up. The wind was brutal Sunday. It looked yeah. horrible. And yet, uh, eight under, there were, uh, let's see, there are tie for 10. I guess there were 12 guys who got to nine under or better. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold you responsible mm-hmm. for nine. That's only one shot off. 10's only two off, but how in the world did two guys get to 15 and one guy get to 20?
2: Well, I think it was that the golf course continued to stay soft. Um, you saw a lot of shots into greens that hit and stopped immediately. Um, that, uh, balls going in the fairway were not really running out and um, and even when they hit it in the in the second cut they were still able to hit the ball onto the green and have it stop relatively quickly so um because of that um and you know w- when a golf course is soft they're able to really um take advantage of it, and and score, and be able to uh, hit the ball close to the hole and make a lot of birdies.
1: I know it's hard to win golf tournaments. It's harder to win major tournaments. But if I look at Dustin Johnson, this is something that we've been talking about for several years now is that you want to be able to, whatever your potential is, to be able to fulfill it. You know, Shaq and Kobe won their titles, but they left a bunch of titles out on the table because they couldn't get along. And that's the way I feel about Dustin Johnson now. If he's not winning two, three, four, five more majors, maybe that's a little bit outrageous. But certainly a few more, I think he will not have fulfilled the measure of, of his creation because I think he's just that good projecting forward for him. What do you see?
2: Well, I, you know, it, the interesting thing about it is that, you know, he had an opportunity to win at the PGA championship this year was leading the golf tournament and then, and didn't finish it off and call Colin Morikawa won. Um, he's had lots of opportunities in major championships, finished second last year in the masters. Um, he's had an opportunity to win the, the, the British open. Um, he had multiple opportunities to win the U S open before he won it. So, um, you know, when you're, when you're playing well and you're firing on all cylinders and things come together in a week, um, you can win golf tournaments and make it look pretty easy. Um, but the thing about golf is you're the only person um, that's playing. And, you know, one week you're doing well, and the next week you're kind of not that big of a deal. You know, when he came back off of COVID, he shot two 80s at uh, Memorial and Jack's event. Then he shot 78 the next week and withdrew. And then he comes back and he wins at Hartford and he wins at, at the tour championship and, and not too far down the, down the road. Uh, you see him here at the masters and he shoots uh breaks the tournament record by two shots um, and shoots uh, 20 under par and wins the golf tournament. So um, some weeks you've got it. Some weeks you don't. Uh, there's only four majors a year. And to be able to monopolize and capitalize on that um, is is a bit is a big deal, um, and that's why guys like Tiger and Phil and Rory and Jack Nicklaus, when he was playing, um, they tried to peak uh, around the majors, uh, have their games in shape right around the majors, so that they'd have their best opportunity to win one. Um, and so, will he win more? I think he will. Um, he as far as the majors are concerned, he's going to definitely win more events on the PGA Tour. And you know, here's a guy now that has what 24, 25 wins and two majors so far. Right now, he's already had a heck of a career because he's lifetime exempt. Once you win 20 times on the PGA Tour, you're lifetime exempt. You can play, you can play every week on the PGA Tour. And um, so that's that's the kind of standard, the bar is to get that lifetime exemption, 20 wins, and then when you can throw some majors in, and he's got two of them now, two majors is a great career.
0: So that's all true, and yet he's 36 years old, so you can easily say he's got another four to five years of elite golf, and you're right about the 20 wins and the, and the two majors, but you know if you end up, he's on 24 PGA Tour wins, if you end up with 35 or 40 Tour wins... And if you get that third or fourth or fifth major, if they come in bunches, if the monkey's off his back and it's easier to do, what is really what is the outer limit if he's really good these next four, five, six years? How can because you get to forty? I think Phil is basically forty and five. That the numbers aren't spot on there, but they're close. He's, he's
2: above forty. Yeah. 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 So yeah, you know. um, He's he's in rarefied error right now, especially in today's game. Um, there hasn't been many guys that have have gotten to that twenty mark, that twenty benchmark, um, recently or in the last few years. Um, and and he's been able to do it. I would say for him to max out his potential, he needs to get to forty. Um, or or could if he could get to forty and maybe maybe four or five uh, as far as his majors are concerned. But that's that's asking a lot. Um, that's asking a huge amount. But here's a guy that's won every year on the PGA Tour that he's played. Uh, he's got great potential. He's figured out his game on and how to maximize and and win golf tournaments. You know, he he uh, about five or six years ago he went to a cut off the tee, um, and and in most of his shots, and it helped his tighten up his game better. Um, and then he's really worked on his on his wedge game and his putting. And and that's really kind of once he did that wedge game and putting, he was able to uh, to really jump on top and become number one in the world. And, and uh, he's he's extending that out now. He was he was it was kind of tight. But here he's won a major with all the best players. And uh, and so he's a, he's uh, solidified that position. As number one in the world, and I think he'll keep doing it. Um, you know, guys are winning um, into their into their forties. You know, Tiger's forty four now, and we've seen him win um, a couple times in the last couple years. He's got he's got another eight to ten years um, that he could uh, get get himself in a position to get to that forty mark.
1: So Rory needs the Masters for the career slam, right? Uh huh. All right. Here's my prediction when we conclude the 2023 majors season he will have two more majors and he will have the career grand slam okay respond
2: my response yes um you know it's going to be it's going to be tough there's there's not a lot of guys in the world that have, have achieved the career grand slam there's only 5 of them uh, that have done so. Um, Rory, as we saw in the first round shot, 75, he put a lot of pressure on himself because guys were going out and firing at it. And uh, the golf course was in, um, pristine condition to be able to score. You've seen a lot of guys taking advantage of it. Um, Rory shoots 75, but he comes back and he finishes top five. Um, you know, 66, 67, 69 in his last three rounds. Uh, that seventy-five really hurt him. You know, if he shoots, if he shoots four or five under par in in that first round, then he's able to put a little bit more pressure on on the leaders and get himself in a position to shoot better later on in the golf tournament. So, um, the nice thing is he he has another opportunity here in about four and a half months, um, and hopefully he learned something from this masters where he finished tied for fifth that he can't put pressure on himself. He's got to let it happen and let it come to him. Um, and just try to hit quality golf shots. And, uh, I, I just think it, if he gets to the masters every year and he's feeling that pressure and he puts that much pressure on himself and he tries to make it happen, he's going to, it's going to continue to happen just like it happened this last time. So, uh, Hopefully he learns, and that's what golfers have to do. The top golfers, the elite golfers, they have to learn from situations and mistakes and that kind of thing, and try to and, and try to do better the next time they have the opportunity. But uh, to say that um, that he could um, have two plus uh, a career Grand Slam, it's in the very very realm of possibility. But he hasn't won a major for six years now, and uh, and he's contended in majors. Uh, he just needs to learn or, or figure out how to not put so much pressure on himself. So
0: a lot of the guys in the top 10 at the Masters are names, and we all know them, right? And Kepka and Rom mm-hmm. and McElroy and Justin Thomas and Dustin Johnson wins. But some of these guys in the top 10 are young, a little less known. I guess Fratelli's not that young because he's 30 um, but right. Sung, Sung J M and and Cameron Smith. Are, are there anybody here in the top five or top ten who've kind of been off the radar for most golf fans? But we really ought to pay attention going into twenty twenty one. They're about to emerge as one of the elites. Or are these guys who just had a good week.
2: Uh, I think they. I think some of those guys had really good weeks. Don't get me wrong; they're great players. Sung J M from Korea. He's a phenomenal player, and this guy is the Iron Man of the PGA tour he plays just about every week. He doesn't even have a house. He lives out of his suitcase and out of hotels. And um, they did mention that he's going to be buying a home in Atlanta. He wants to live there, but he's played on the PGA tour now for, for two or three years and continues to live out of a suitcase and play golf every week on the PGA tour. Cameron Smith uh, from Australia. He's a great player. Uh, One earlier this year at Hawaii, and um, and and I think you're going to see more and more of him as far as winning on the PGA Tour and probably contending in majors. That that did a lot for him. He's the first guy to shoot four rounds in the 60s at the Masters yeah. ever, and and he didn't even win the tournament. But uh, but he's the first one to ever do that. Then you look at Fratelli. He's he's a great player. He's um, you know he played well. What shot 65 in the first round, 67 in the second round. Um, CT Pan is another good player from, uh, uh, China. Um, and, uh, and he finished what top seven, um, Corey Connors top 10, uh, Patrick Reed, Webb Simpson, those guys, er- everybody knows Abraham answer had a, fi- had a tough ra- final round, but here's a guy that's won a couple times on the PGA tour as well. And you're going to be seeing more from him.
1: So you think Tiger has that many years to compete at this high of a level, huh?
2: How many years?
1: Did you say eight to ten?
2: No, I said that was Dustin Johnson. Oh, okay. uh, uh, But Tiger, I think Tiger's probably got another two to four years. Okay. Um, you know, the, the thing that we saw with Tiger and everything that goes along with what he's going to do is how his back, how his back feels, and and what what it's like. Um, you know, he had to play, but he played he played the first round fine. He got he got a rest day, uh, only nine holes. Uh, the second day, then he had to come back with twenty seven. It was a little cooler in the morning. His back was probably a little bit tight, uh, hurt him a little bit, and then he comes out for Sunday, and it was you could definitely see that he was he was struggling, uh, trying to pick balls out of the hole, all that kind of stuff. You could see that he was struggling a little bit with his back. So, as far as Tiger is concerned, you know, if you've got majors or tournaments that he wants that he plays where the weather is going to be a little warmer um, during the summer, that kind of thing, then I think your Tiger going to have a little bit better chance than something in the fall or when you've got cool weather in the spring.
0: You know, watching him get the ball out of the hole was painful, and I don't know if I hadn't been paying attention to that or if it was worse this week. Obviously, he's had the back surgery, so maybe that's just because he he bends the knee and he, like, lowers his whole body down, just barely reaches for the ball, and you're thinking, oh, he's in agony. He's in agony. So is that every week how he gets the ball out of the hole? Did I just notice more, or was it a a bad week for his back?
2: Some weeks it's fine, Um, and you, you don't see him having problems. Some weeks when the back is, is, and he's struggling with the back, then you'll see him do that and kind of lower himself down, pull the ball out of the hole. Uh, you know, it may get to a point at some point in time where where Joey LaCava, his caddy, uh, starts to pull the ball out of the hole for him or something like that. But for the most part, if um, if you're seeing that, you know that he's hurting. If you're not seeing that and he looks pretty loose and pretty carefree. Free like we saw in the first couple of rounds uh, this this week in the masters then then it's then he's gonna be okay.
0: Well Bob we appreciate a few minutes. I personally appreciate the Brooks Kepka pick thank you for gifting me that I needed it you're the man
2: <laughs> you got it DJ. Welcome to the club. Now, now you've got a winner with each one of us. So.
0: Uh, Barkley can't go in the Champions Club on TNT, but I can. I picked one. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Bob. All right, buddy.
2: Take care, guys. All right.
0: There he is, Bob Casper. And, uh, PK, you know how I am. I, I looked it up. And, you know, we just do we really appreciate the best when they're right in front of us. Dustin Johnson has 24 tour wins the same number Gary Player had. Now, Player won nine majors, so we got to say that, right? And Dustin Johnson uh, has, two, But uh, Johnny Miller won 25 times, and Lee Trevino won 29. So, you know, it's, uh, there aren't 30 people on the planet who've got more wins than, than Dustin Johnson on tour. He's very close to cracking the top 25 here with another win or two. Yeah,
1: when you put it in that perspective, wow, that's some legendary names. Right, yeah.
0: Tied with Player, one behind Miller, five behind Trevino. So, mm-hmm. he's, done, he's done awfully well, and he's 36, so there's, there's probably more to come. All right, there's more to come here with DJ and PK. Stay with us. Uh, coming up at 9.30, uh, what a year at Utah State. Aggie interim coach Frank Miley is going to join us. We'll talk with him. Coming up then, stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Let's go! The big show! It's a big- with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. The general manager of the Utah Jazz, Justin Zanuck. You
2: know, it's pretty easy to go through an analysis of the season and see what the strengths of our team are and what are the things that we have opportunities to improve at. So certainly finding talented wing and guard defenders that don't compromise spacing. There's a multitude of ways that we can try to accomplish that. We look for high character, unique players and they can come in all shapes and sizes, but we have multiple ways to address that and see if we can have a little bit more of a comeuppance defensively for the team
0: the big show weekdays from two to seven on 97.5 1280 the zone and the zone sports network
2: now. Really? Your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. Really? Murray back to throw, flushed out, rolling left in trouble, slips a tackle, got to launch it. He does, left side, into the end zone, jump ball, and it is. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! Is up with three defenders around
0: him and pulls it in. And the Cardinals lead it 32-30 to with a second lap. There's the Chevy Strong play of the game. Know it today, 450 on the big show, and you can win fabulous prizes. An easy choice right there, PK. There's a high degree of difficulty on every Hail Mary. But when the quarterback is rolling left, falling backwards... And still, what an arm, <laughs> and still getting the ball across the goal line. And when the receiver is going up, sandwiched well in between two defenders and still able to pull that down as the third guy comes in trying to just blast people and, and, and you know, knock them all out of bounds. It's like watching a bowling ball try to pick up a 7-10 split as the third defender came in there. Uh, that was awesome. And so an easy choice is a play today, and it impacts the race because that throws the NFC West into a three-way tie, and it's Arizona, whether well, it's, Card- it's the Cardinals, the Rams, and the Seahawks, with a Thursday night game looming, short turnaround here for the, uh, the Cardinals to get ready for a trip to Seattle.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. When you factor in both ends, it was the greatest Hail Mary I've ever seen. And I know people, well, you get so outraged when you say the greatest, blah, 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 the best. But I think when you throw in both sides of what Murray had to do just to get the ball off and Hopkins, what more can you say? From now on, you no longer have hops. You have Hopkins I mean, that was just sensational. What an athletic play on both sides. I thought, you know, I was watching the game. I thought that they would maybe go try to get downfield a little bit more. But then when Murray's running all the way to his right and coming all the way left, okay, at that point there's no time. You've got to go for it. It's all here and now, now or nothing. And just to be able to get that ball off, as you said, was just incredible. And then I don't know that you can look at Buffalo and say, man, you guys really blew it. I mean, what more are you supposed to do <laughs> defensively?
0: Well, I guess this is where we have to defend scouts and GMs because as much as I say watch the football games and watch the tape and they all want to do combines and all that, that's a time where I think you really have to look at your defensive backs and say why aren't you guys three inches taller? Why don't you do that standing high jump you know, and they have the, the little sticks, basically, on the pole. And so you hit it, and then you know how high the guy can go. Because that's really what it came down to. They got to the right spot at the right time. They just weren't tall enough and couldn't jump high enough.
1: Yeah, the only thing I could think of, but you couldn't have known that at the time, because you would take your chances 100 out of 100 times, is uh, P.I. PI 'em. And then they get the ball and they feel the play. Yeah,
0: but then they get the ball down there at the one-yard right. line with but one play. You wouldn't do that because
1: – you would do that if you knew he was going to catch the ball.
0: Yeah, but you didn't know he was going to make that catch.
1: You defended him so well, and he, they still made the play. That's why I don't think that it was it was just a big shock that Buffalo lost. If I'm Buffalo, I don't feel that bad this morning. Uh, as I, as I wake up, I still have control of the division. So in the end, it's not going to matter for Buffalo. I mean, they've got a young emerging team. Josh Allen looks really good. They're going to get, I assume the dolphins are only a game back, I think. So, uh, you know, it's not guaranteed by any stretch, but I think they're going to win the division. I think they're going to get in the playoffs. And so at that point, this play, this game is really not going to be on their minds. It's what they're going to do in the postseason. Now, it could be wrong. They, they, maybe it could have a lasting effect, and they don't. But they've looked so good here recently that I think they'll be fine, whereas Arizona – I mean, you go five and four with a game coming up at Seattle, which I assume you're not going to win. But I don't know. Seattle's lost a couple of ball games in a row now. You've already beaten them once, although that was in overtime, and that was that was a dramatic game too. Arizona winning in overtime when they looked like they were left for dead, um, and then and my sister went to the game, and uh, she said it was just incredible. She says she feels guilty because she enjoys the game with only uh, uh, a few thousand fans as opposed to a packed stadium. So I said, Why does well, that make her guilty? Uh, almost like she's rooting for COVID in a sense, and no one's rooting for COVID. Well, uh, now that the election's over, maybe that's a, a different, uh, more of a true statement than before. But uh, she feels like, well, yeah, we're supposed to have it, but I, actually my personal enjoyment is better when there's this few people in there but she sent me it we were texting back and forth and you look at the cardinals they are the cardiac cardinals this season losing games right at the end winning games right at the end winning games in overtime it was a much more important had to have, have for them than the bills because i think the bills will be fine if i'm a bills fan right now and i don't know that we have very many of them out here in utah but if i were uh, i would be excited about their team although i did go to a college with a A hard, hardcore Bills fan. And he was from Buffalo. And he decided enough of the winter and paid through the teeth through out-of-state tuition to come to Arizona State. And following up, you know, we were in broadcasting together. He ended up being the anchor on a local news station in Colorado Springs. So every time that I would go to cover the Air Force Academy, I'd turn on the TV, and there he was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would say that the Bills, they're they're not a game up. They're a half game up because they haven't had their bye week yet, and the Dolphins have. So the Bills are 7-3, and three, the Dolphins are 6-3, and three, and they play the last game of the season. And and I think they're both going to be favorite Now, you know, in the NFL, you can still lose even though you're favored. It's not that big a lock. But they're going to be favored in most of their games. Uh, they each have a game where they're going to be a huge underdog. I think the, the Bills play the undefeated Steelers, which is kind of an underrated regional grudge match. Buffalo's not that far north of Pittsburgh, actually. And I only know this because Mark Cabell's from that part of the country. I actually do know two Bills fans in Utah. Um, Mark loves the Steelers, but doesn't hate the Bills. You know, they don't really, they're not in the same division, so it's not that, you know, and he knew people who follow both teams. And the SID at Dixie State is a former KUTV uh intern, and he will always want to know, are the Bills on TV this week? Um, so there, there's a few Bills fans out here. Had a, a former uh, uh, Channel 2 photographer was a Bills fan, too, so it's it's the NFL. I think if you look around enough, you'll find somebody everywhere. So, But that should be a good race, and they should both win a bunch of games down the stretch. I don't think either team should fall apart here. Me too. Dolphins got to play the Chiefs, I guess, so you know, one team's got to play the Steelers, one's got to play the Chiefs. So it's kind of second tier. I think that's the top tier of the AFC, but they're they're still good teams. All right, DJ I've and gotta, PJ. Before okay. we go, I yeah. got a
1: thing that we got to get Scotty. Here's my idea: since we run the uh, broadcast the Raiders games, yeah, I think that when they get back, whether it's next season or season after, the Raiders ought to have all of our guys
0: down there for a game. Yeah, <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> Let's talk to Scotty or the Raiders We're, Station. Can Scotty make that happen or can Lincoln? I'll take a week off Sunday from talking sports. We'll do that.
1: We all go down there.
0: Yeah. Tour and. the stadium, which is supposed to be awesome. Right. And there are gonna be a ton of events. You know, if you're if you're like I would never go to a Raiders game. Well that's probably two. There's probably a bunch you would never go to the Raiders game. But that doesn't mean you wouldn't go to a Pac-Twelve football. Or the Raiders title station. Or a concert or who knows what else will be in that. We're building.
1: the beast at sports radio. Scotty tweeted out the ratings. Nice job there, Scotty. I see what you were doing.
0: We haven't talked about that. Savvy move. I'm a moron. I didn't get it right away, and I called him about something. Or were you angry that he didn't tweet out ours or something? No, I I I, I had a question, and and I called him. And and there's this pause. He goes, "Mm, "What was really doing, DJ?" (laughs) Well, duh. I started out by saying I'm an idiot. Okay, I'm (laughs) I'm pleading guilty, throwing myself (laughs) on the mercy of the court. I was only half paying attention. Oh, you California Literally, guys. only half paying attention. <laughs> no, I don't think my parents would want that put on that. I just put that on my attention span and lack of powers of observation. I got it right away. Of course you did, streetwise <laughs> and savvy. And it was obvious, and I'm an idiot. <laughs> All right. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Stay with us.